We want to take time out of our worship this morning to go to God's word, to read some scripture. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. And it builds off of what we just sang and what we're about to sing. It says this, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one, and don't miss this, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing a song. The lyrics go like this. It says, I will build my life upon your love, for it is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. So let's sing that. Hey, good morning. My name is Jonathan Hartzell. Uh, my family and I have been going to LCC since 2013. Uh, my wife Jennifer is over there. My oldest son Judah and Rebecca and Daniel are in kids' life. Uh, I want to talk about communion a little bit this morning, something we're going to participate in together. Um, I think it's really cool that God has given us something tangible to remember Christ's atoning sacrifice with. I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a tangible person. Uh, things that I can see and touch matter to me. And since I haven't seen the risen Lord uh, with my eyes, it's really cool that he gave us something to remember him by, something simple that we all can do easily. Uh, even in the Old Testament, you know, God commanded the Hebrew people often to remember great works he had done by building simple altars of stone, uh, like when they crossed the Jordan, for example. So communion is a corporate act of remembrance and obedience. It's something that Jesus and his, Jesus uh, asked his followers to do. By eating the bread and drinking the cup, we're declaring to each other and to God that we have, we have taken in Christ's broken body and spilled blood, that we believe in his atoning sacrifice and want him to be part of us. Um, I'm going to read from some scripture, Matthew chapter 26, that describes where Jesus talked about this. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, as I touched on before, communion is both a remembrance and a declaration. It doesn't grant salvation. Salvation comes by grace through faith, as preached by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you haven't yet made that decision for yourself about Jesus, we'd love to talk with you more about it after the service. Find me or Dan or Brett. But for those of you that have made that decision, I'm going to give you a few minutes to take the elements. You'll go ahead and bring them with you back to your seat, but don't consume them yet. We'll do that together. You can go ahead and get the elements now.
Now that you have the elements um, and you're seated, we're going to take just a minute or two to reflect and remember. This is a great time to express your gratitude to the Lord for his salvation and to search our hearts before him. Let's do that now. going to read that passage again as we actually take the bread and, and the juice this time. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and we had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I'm going to go ahead and pray. And then after prayer, just like Jesus and his disciples, we're going to get back to a time of worship. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus, the lamb that was slain. Thank you for his atoning sacrifice that it covers all sins. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us this symbol, something so simple, but it means so much. And... Thank you for cleansing our hearts, for loving us, and teaching us your ways. Would you stand so that we can worship some more? I just love that song and that reminder that um, God is a firm foundation for us to build our life on. Um, I'm sure we've all felt the pain of this world when we try to build our life on things of this world and the way that it crumples beneath us. Um, and it's so cool that we get to have this close and deep relationship with him. Um, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> My name is Sonia, and I'm a part of the NextGen team around here. Um, whether you join us here at the building or on the live stream, welcome. Um, I, if this is your first time, um, I just invite you at some point today to jump onto our website, which is mylcc.info, and fill out a contact form so that way we can keep you updated um, and inform you about all the things we've got going on around here because we'd love to have you involved. I also want to extend a big and warm bienvenidos uh, to Armando's parents. Um, we're so happy to have you guys. Yes. We are just praising God that you guys made it from Cuba safely this week and that you're here to stay. So welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, also want to say that if you're um, considering going on the Honduras backpack trip in February, that the registration closes today. So um, make sure if you were putting that off, make sure you do that because it will be closed today. Um, if you are someone who gives uh, to the church here monthly, we just want to thank you um, for your generosity and your faithfulness in that way. 
Um, if you're not someone who gives, we would just encourage you to consider making that a part of your um, involvement and worship with us here. You can also give on our website, milecc.info. Um, you can sign up to give one gift, make it reoccurring, and there's also some funds on there that you can give to, like our roof fund, where we're trying to um, raise enough money to replace our in much disarray and old roof. <laughs> um, and finally, our next first Sunday lunch in December um, is coming up quick. Uh, it's going to be soup and chili. Yes, I love soup and chili. <laughs> um, and super excited that we're going to have a photo booth set up during lunch with a photographer so you guys can get those updated self-portraits or family photos, post them all over your house, use them on the Christmas card whatever you would like to do with them. Um, so yeah, we're super excited to share a meal with you guys and um, have some community like that. So I am going to pray for Mike as he comes up to bring us the word, if you guys would join me. Dear Lord, thank you for the ways that you are steadfast and unmoving. Um, help us as we try to build our life upon your love and grow closer to you um, and lean on you and you alone. Lord, um, I want to lift up Mike to you as he shares the message that he uh, prepared today. Um, give him wisdom as he speaks. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Morning, everybody. I'm I'm super excited. I, I get so excited about getting the opportunity to come up here because uh, it's just kind of fun. And um, I, my name is Mike Miller. I'm part of the teaching team here, which is another thing that's really fun. Uh, if you ever are interested in joining a group of people and being a part of the teaching team, it is awesome. And the people that we get are just great. And uh, so we're talking about Proverbs and... Uh, We've been studying the book of Proverbs for the past six weeks, and we got a couple more weeks left. Uh, we're not actually doing the whole book. We're going through the first nine chapters of it. And um, it's a very challenging book, very interesting. And um, if, for, for those of you who weren't here before, what is a proverb? A proverb is just like a, it, it's like an axiom. It's an idiom. It's, 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 it's a saying, right? And they're just short little statements that are attributed to Solomon, and Solomon is giving them to his son. And we don't know if it's actually his son's son or if we're all his sons, but um, they're, they're like short statements that take the place of long explanations. And um, they're, they're meant to be good advice to us, but they're more than good advice. They're God's advice to us uh, for us to live uh, a healthy uh, contented and prosperous life, okay? Uh, and if we've seen, the, the overriding theme of the book of Proverbs is this theme of wisdom. And I was thinking about this this week. What, what, what exactly is wisdom? And, is, and you'll find that if you read the scriptures, the whole concept of wisdom is all throughout the scriptures. Paul talks about it a lot. Um, Proverbs, in Proverbs, we are, it says that we are to seek wisdom, with all our hearts, that we're supposed to earnestly desire uh, wisdom. And um, I was thinking about this, and it's like, wisdom is simply the heart of God. It's, it's being able to think the way God thinks. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says that we have the mind of Christ. And that's, that's the idea of wisdom, right? You could almost see Paul writing, if, I don't know if Paul had a son, but if he wrote to his son, he would, he would sum up what Solomon was saying too. And, and if you read in the uh, book of Romans, it's, it says, very common verse that you all know, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's wisdom, right? Don't be conformed anymore to the way the world does things. Solomon's saying the same thing to his son. Be transformed. Have the mind of God. Have the mind of Christ. So we're going to look at Proverbs 6. Now, just warning you, the, the book of Proverbs, and we've already talked about this, is kind of like chopped up. It's kind of like a, a tossed salad. And um, so we're trying to get the, the theme of the chapter, but there's a couple of topics that I kind of want to cover in here. Um, so uh, cha chapter 6 of Proverbs, um, Solomon writes about financial matters, uh, the wise use of wealth, work ethics, sinful attitudes, good choices, and sexual immorality. Well, I'm not going to talk about sex today. I'm going to leave that for Dan next week. <laughs> Hope you're watching it. <laughs> so if, if I was to summarize chapter 6, I think it would be something like this. That wisdom, I'm going to split this sentence up. Wisdom is working diligently to walk in the ways that God loves and to abhor the, the things that God hates. Okay, let me just read that again. Wisdom is working diligently to walk in the ways that God loves and to abhor the things that God hates. So let's go ahead and let's, uh, let's if you have their Bibles, or yeah, I'll put it up here. Um, we'll do the first couple of verses in Proverbs and um, we'll kind of split this up. So my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, You've been trapped by what you have said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself, since you've fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to come to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. I, I can't help reading this without thinking about those commercials on TV for getting out of timeshares. <laughs> you know, they could, they could use this verse on, those, on that commercial. Um, but let me kind of put this in a, in a cultural context. So when, when the Mosaic Law was first instituted, it was right after the Israelites left Egypt, okay? So you have this massive group of a million people walking through the desert, and they're trying to get to the promised land, okay? So there wasn't a lot of commerce. There wasn't industry. There, there, was no, that wasn't, there wasn't much lending of money on interest for business. It, it just wasn't a thing that was well known at the time. It's just this giant group of people trying to survive. And any occasion for taking a loan out from somebody would just be like, hey man, can you loan me something? And so it... It's, it's, it was to supply the immediate needs of the, of the borrower, okay? Now, and under the Old Testament law, a person was permitted to lend money to a fellow Israelite as a way of helping him out of some distress. 
However, in those cases, the lender was not supposed to attach any interest to the loan. If you read in Exodus 22, I don't, I, you, know, you can do this later. Exodus 22 says specifically, if you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not exact interest from him. And it goes on, it says, if, if you have to take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. The cloak was probably the only thing your neighbor owned. And by taking his cloak, you were taking away his only means of staying warm, right? So, so God says, in mercy, you should give it back to him that night, okay? It, it was something that he needed. Um, Leviticus 25 also t prohibited an is Israelite from charging interest or making profit from a loan to a, to a fellow Israelite. Uh, because, because taking interest from a brother, taking interest from a fellow Israelite could cause a lot of hardship. It could involve the loss of land. It could involve even personal freedom. Because what could happen is that the debtor and his family became slaves to the creditor. And so that's why God strictly uh, forbade that. The people were encouraged instead to be liberal with each other, to lend things without uh, exacting interest. And, and you see in the New Testament, Jesus carries this on. He says, you know, if someone borrows what is yours, don't even demand it back. God wants us to be liberal with each other and, and he wanted the, the nation of Israel to be like one big family. They were to be different from the other nations around them. They were to be holy, and that's what holy means. It means set apart, different than everybody else around them. Now, let's jump forward a couple centuries. So when, when Solomon wrote Proverbs, it was a completely different, Israel was completely different. Because if you read about uh, the time of Solomon, Israel was an empire. It, it was at the crossroads of um, uh, communications between Egypt and uh, they think as far away as Spain and India and Ceylon. Um, and caravans came through Solomon's land constantly. So there was a lot of commercialism. There was a, uh, uh, a lot of lending of money on interest and uh, it was probably becoming more and more common. And there was this thing called sureityism too. Um, this is uh, pledging a man's uh, own credit to enable that his friend to procure a loan. It's kind of like it's the same thing as co-signing on a loan. And this, this was the thing that Solomon warned against. Um, the warning is not against borrowing of all kinds, but it's... It's the danger of tying your finance to somebody that you don't really know, to somebody who is maybe not as reliable as you think. Um, and if the borrower was not faithful, the person who put up his security for them could risk their own wealth. So this is something that, was, uh, that, he's, that Solomon's trying to get across here. Now, how are we supposed to understand this? So what we're saying is you're never supposed to lend anybody money? Is that what we're saying? Not in all cases. I, I think Solomon's just saying, be careful. Be careful with what you do. Be careful about um, 
who you enter into these kind of relationships with. Um, it, it, you might be being very kind by doing this, but it could be a very great detriment for yourself. It's wisdom. Wisdom is to keep out of debt as much as you can. Okay? Debt is a burden on us. It entangles us into the world and puts us in danger of doing wrong or suffering wrong. Okay? When in debt, what happens is the borrower becomes the servant of the lender. Okay? And uh, he, he makes himself a slave to the lender. We've seen this a lot in the news recently when it comes to student loans, right? So what happens is kids take out massive student loans and they can't pay them back and they end up having to put their lives on hold, right? Because, and, and they don't know how long their lives are going to be on hold because they have to carry that burden of that loan. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he said, you were bought with a price and do not become slaves of men. Uh, Paul's saying that we've, we were set free from slavery by Jesus' sacrifice and we can't go back into slavery to men, especially by being in debt. Bible indicates that God wants us to be free and available to be used by God for his purposes. And um, if we're in a position where we're obligated by things of the world, we can't do that. I, I keep thinking about this. This was years ago. I had a really good friend who uh, had a family, and he really wanted to be a missionary. He was a, he was a pilot, and he wanted to be a missionary pilot. And he and his wife were getting ready to do that, and they were all excited about it. They were raising money to go overseas. But it, ultimately, it didn't work out because he was in so much debt that he, he couldn't go. And that's the kind of thing that, God, that Solomon is warning about here. The other thing is, look at the urgency in this verse. Go to the point of exhaustion. Give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyelids. You know, Solomon's saying, if you find yourself in this situation, you need to get out of it. You need to get out of it and do whatever it takes to get out of it because God wants to use you and he can't use you if you're a slave, if you're a slave to debt or a slave to anything. Okay, I don't want to belabor this point <laughs> because we got more stuff to, if you have any questions, gra grab me afterwards. Um, Solomon was a man who studied a lot. Um, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 4, he sa it says that Solomon described plant life from the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop growing out of the walls. And uh, he taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish, and apparently other things too. Because if we go on, it says this. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food in harvest. So we're going to talk about the ant. <laughs> By the way, this is not a very scientific picture of an ant. <laughs> Ants have six legs, not four. <laughs> but it's the best I could find. So it looks like Solomon studied ants as well. And, you know, when I was a kid, I studied ants too, right? Didn't you do that? Didn't you lean down and watch the ants building their colonies? And I just thought it was fascinating. 
Have you ever heard of a mimecologist? A mimecologist is someone who studies ants. And they do that for a living, I guess. I, ha- I have a patient who is an, ent- is an entomologist. Uh, she runs the insectarium at OSU. And it's her job to, like, feed the bugs. And, and in fact, in her garage, she's telling me about this, she has about 400, uh, 200 little cages. And she has all these insects and spiders in her garage. And I asked her, I said, aren't you ever worried that they're going to get out? You know, what what would you do? She goes, oh, that happens all the time. (laughs) She says, the worst are the tarantulas. (laughs) I'm like, "Um, I'm not going to do any house calls. (laughs) But, um, you know, when I was was in college, I I took a class in entomology, and I thought it was really interesting. I went, my first two years in college, I went to this little, small uh, Christian college, and there was only about 1,000 students there. And... uh, so there were two of us in the entomology class, and one of our projects was we had to do a bug collection, of course. You, probably in high school, you did a bug, bug collection or something. So the, the cool thing was, on this campus, everybody knew everybody, right? And so everybody knew I was doing a bug collection, so they were all more than willing to help out. And, you know, they'd find something in their dorm room and they'd call me up and say, come on over and get it. I remember one night, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and one of the security guards called me. And he said, get over here right now. There's something crawling up my leg. <laughs> so I threw on my clothes and ran over there, and he had, he had a water scorpion about that big crawling up his leg. You'll have to look that one up. Those are ugly things. But it looked really good in my collection. So, so studying ants, studying bugs is, is kind of cool. And obviously Solomon did it. And ants are fascinating creatures. Uh, there's, and like Solomon said, there's a lot of wisdom that we can get from studying ants. You know, there's over 10,000 species of ants, and they estimate that the mass of ants on the earth is almost the same as the mass of humans on the earth. They're on every continent in the world except for Antarctica. We'll try to explain that one. <laughs> they, they, uh, they build structures, you know, huge, five, 500 times their own height. They have two stomachs, one's for themselves and one's to help feed the, uh, the others in the colony. It's very thoughtful. Um, they, and they accomplish a lot in a, in a short lifetime. But the question is, have you ever seen a lazy ant? You never see a live ant just standing around, lying on the sofa, watching TV, or just doing nothing. There's no such thing as a couch potato ant. They're constantly moving. They're not quitters. You can run over an anthill with a lawnmower, and five minutes later, you see them starting to build it up again. Um, It takes a lot to discourage an ant. They don't know the meaning of procrastination either. They don't wait until the weather gets cold before they start to prepare. They gather food while it's still warm, and they take it into their colony. Many of those worker ants who work all day to to collect food won't even get to eat it because they only live about 45 days. But they prepare it for the other workers. They make sure the colony is taken care of even when they're not around. They're future-oriented, um, not living in the past or the present, just preparing for the future. So in direct contrast to the ant, Solomon talks about this 
sluggard, which I think is a great word. Uh, the sluggard, is this word is actually used multiple times in the book of Proverbs. I think it's used like 17 times. It refers to the lazy individual who refuses to work, and as a result, his desires are not met. A lazy man just, it says, let's just read this. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. The lazy man just stays in bed and he doesn't work. So we had a, we had a debate in the teaching team last week. How, how many of you have one of these? And it's got the snooze button on the top. <laughs> how many of you use the snooze button? Yeah, you know, I was, I was, surpri I was surprised. Um, a lot, good many of you. I, I don't get it. Maybe you guys can explain it to me. <laughs> so I don't get it. So wouldn't you rather sleep that extra 20 minutes and not hit the button every seven minutes and get, it wakes you up? It, that's just me. I'm just making fun of you. <laughs> but the, what he's talking about here is the sluggard who would keep hitting that snooze button all day. Anyway, Proverbs says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. What is, what is the sluggard doing? He's, he's, what he's doing is he's making little surrenders in his life. He says, oh, I'm just going to hit this again. I don't need to be there for another 10 minutes. I'm going to hit this again. He's, and, and the problem with little surrenders in your life is they lead to loss of big opportunities. And that's what's happening with a sluggard. He misses chances to do what God wants him to do. And the reward of laziness is poverty. You see that? Poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Yeah, Solomon compares it to a, to a thief actually stealing away what you have. Okay, all of us desire things. I mean, we want money. We want, you know, to get fit. We want an education. Uh, we have this goal for ourselves. But unless we move into action, those things will never, will never happen. The Bible, this is another good verse out of Proverbs. It says, as the door turns on its hinges... So a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hands in the dish, but he's too lazy to bring it back up to his mouth. That's a real sluggard. Okay. And, it, and it also says, I don't know if I wrote that. Yeah, the craving of the sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. Now, I just want to put a little caveat on this. Um, Remember, remember that when we started this series, Tom talked about uh, Proverbs, and he said, Proverbs are meant to be general statements of fact of wisdom and truth, but they're never meant to be guarantees. So they're never meant to be, if you do this, then I guarantee you'll, you'll do this. You'll get this. Um, 
For example, I have, one, I have a friend who's one of the most diligent, hardworking people I've ever known, and yet he still struggles to make ends meet. And just because he's really diligent doesn't mean that he is what you would call you know, successful financially. You would think that as hard as he works, he, he should be rich, but he's still living from paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you're working two or even three jobs, and you're just making ends meet while you look at some other guy who has an easy job, and he's doing great. But, you know, God's called each of us to our own path, and true satisfaction in life comes from doing what God's called you to do, and by doing it enthusiastically. That's the cool thing about my friend. Is he does his work. He works really hard, but he does his work enthusiastically. He takes care of his responsibilities and priorities in the light of God's word. And the second caveat I want to bring up is that diligence, which is what we're talking about here, diligence does not obviate the need for rest. In fact, God's made it very clear in the scriptures that we're supposed to rest. He rested on the seventh day. He wants us to rest on the seventh day. And we often neglect that. So what can we learn from that ant? First of all, we can learn a responsible work ethic. Okay? Unlike the sluggard, ants look beyond their immediate needs. The sluggard can't even work to provide his own needs for the here and now, but the ant collects food in the summer for the good of the colony down the road. Ants spring into action when the colony is under attack. And the apparent chaos that occurs when we kick over an anthill is really an incredibly organized redigging, reorganization, and repairing the tunnel. So they're, they're very, they have a work ethic, and they're very responsible. Secondly, we can learn reliability from them. Uh, no one, remember it said in that verse that nobody ever tells the ant, hey, it's time to gather food now, guys. Get back to work. There's no commander ants looking over the shoulders and demanding everybody does their part. When there's a need, every ant kind of comes together and does their work. Now, a lot of that, you're going to say, well, that's instinct, right? They're kind of pre-wired to be that way. But they can still kind of be a good example to the sluggard, okay? Imagine what our homes and our communities and our workplaces would be like if everybody was reliable, and they didn't need overseers and someone to kick you and say, get back to work. It'd be a dream, right? And third is their interdependence on each other. We, uh, for the, co the colony's success uh, requires all of them, and that kind of teaches the sluggard respect. Not, and we're not all the same. Not every ant has the same job. There's, there's kind of three, times of the ant, three types of ants. There's the queen whose job is to get fed and lay eggs. There's the soldiers, which guard the nest. And then there, the vast majority are, are workers. Um, so their job is to gather food and to provide the needs for the colony. So they all have their individual job, and they're, we're, they're all interdependent, just like we're interdependent on each other. Okay. Though the smallest of creatures, God's teaching us the value of hard work. And this goes into the New Testament, too, because Paul mentions in Romans 13 
He says, do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. Paul is saying, the day is short, right? Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul's saying, we need to get about the work of the gospel. We need to free ourselves up and we need to be diligent about getting on to the work of the gospel because days are short. Paul's saying, when are you going to wake up? When are you going to do the work of the gospel? Now, I was thinking about this and I... Sandy and I were talking the other day when we were talking about this, and it's like it's really easy to go, well, I don't have that problem. I'm not a sluggard. I don't roll over in bed 20 times and don't go to work. But we were thinking about, well, is there other ways in which we're guilty of sluggardism and laziness? And we're like, yep, there are other ways. One of them is spiritual laziness. You know, think about this. This includes prayerlessness, ignoring having time with God, neglecting fellowship with other believers. I, I don't want to go to cell group tonight. I just don't feel like it. Or maybe just staying home on Sundays and not coming to church and just watching it on TV. There's nothing wrong with that if there's reason, but come on back, you know, because this is where the church is. I'm guilty of I'm guilty a lot of a lot of these, right? I, I remember a couple weeks ago when, when we started out this series, Tom gave a challenge, and he said, what I want everybody to do is to spend an hour a day in the scriptures and in prayer. And I remember sitting right there going, oh, an hour a day, are you kidding me? I, I, I started doing a half an hour a day. And it's great. I look forward to it every day, so it's, you know, got to keep going. The other, the other area of laziness is relational laziness, right? We're getting into this neighboring thing, right? And I, I have to confess that I'm guilty, right? I've lived in my condo for six years, and up until a couple weeks ago, the only person I knew was the lady on the right. She's, that's it. I'm surrounded by all these people, but I'm lazy when it comes to relationships. I've never bothered to reach out and gotten to know people. Sometimes we'll sit home on a Friday night and we'll have nothing to do and <laughs> Sandy will say something like, we don't have any friends. <laughs> if we had friends, we'd be doing something tonight. Well, they say, well, you got to do something about that. You know, you have to build those relationship bridges, right? If you really want, you might do this in your quiet time. If you really want to look into uh, diligence, a cool chapter to read is Proverbs uh, chapter 31. And it talks about the, the wife of good character. But you could look at that as um, all of us can learn from that. Um, what, but what's the characteristic that we see in the wife of good character? It's diligence, right? She provides for her family vigorously. She opens her arms to the poor. She extends her hands to the needy. And one of my favorite lines is, she laughs at things to come. Why is that? Because she's ready. She's prepared. Um, so that, that's kind of a cool chapter to look at. Okay, I have to move on. Uh, let's keep going. A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eyes, signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart, 
He always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will be suddenly destroyed without remedy. Okay, a troublemaker and a villain. Okay. Did you ever notice that in modern society, we, we kind of root for the bad guy? <sighs> we do. It, it's a common concept on TV shows. And now I'm going to confess to you that a couple of the TV shows that I've watched are like that. One of my favorite shows is Breaking Bad. Okay, and if you've never watched that show, it's about a high school chemistry teacher who finds out he has lung cancer and he has no idea how he's going to pay for his medical bills and support his family even when he's gone until he discovers that he has a knack for making crystal, crystal meth. <laughs> and he can make a lot of money doing it and a lot of things ensue. <laughs> and there's another show that we were watching. It's called Good Girls. And it's about these three housewives who discover that they can figure out how to... Um, counterfeit money <laughs> but you know everything it, toward the end of the series you're just like are they going to get caught are they going to get i hope they don't get caught you know the law is creeping up on them it's like wait a second we're rooting for the bad guy here uh, you get so caught up in these characters that you don't want them to get caught and you get all nervous uh when it looks like they are we find them you know that's tv but I think we find ourselves minimizing sin. You ever find yourself minimizing sin? God doesn't minimize sin. Because look what he says here. Disaster will overtake him, that is the sinner, in an instant he will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Colossians 3 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your sin earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. We in the church have kind of lost the idea that God, uh, that, uh, God has a capacity to hate, to have wrath, because we've been taught that God is love, Right? But it says in scripture that God hates sin and he's going to judge it with the fierceness of his wrath. Um, we've been taught about an indulgent, soft-hearted God whose judgments are uncertain and who coddles those who break his commandments. We're not even sure anymore if sin is really sin. And we find it hard to believe that God hates sin. But why, why do you think God hates sin? God hates sin for the same reason that you would hate a rattlesnake that you found in the crib of your baby. Anything that threatens someone who you love, you would hate. The reason that prompts God to hate sin with such a vengeance is his love for man, his compassion for the human race. Sin separates us from God and he loathes anything that would hinder our being reconciled to him. That's why God hates sin. So what does he hate? Keep reading in Proverbs. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Uh, I, I'm not going to take much time. I just want to go over a couple of these things, okay? A haughty eyes. What, what is that? That's a proud heart, okay? And again, in our 20th century Western mode of thinking, pride is not really looked down upon much, is it? 
it's, it's considered a good thing among many people. We look up to a man who's opinionated and successful, and in some ways, we even honor the idea of stubbornness, right? It's the whole, I did it my way thinking, right? We honor that. But in almost every instance in the Bible, as well as in life, pride is not associated with success. It's associated with failure. Uh, the proud look or haughty eyes comes from a heart, a heart attitude that I'm better and I can't learn anything from anybody else. And uh, we look at other people and draw conclusions and we judge them. And remember, pride is what led Lucifer to the fall and caused him to become the devil. Pride keeps thousands away from Christ today. What, we, we, what, what, are my friends, what will my friends say if I become a Christian? What will my family think? How will my reputation be affected if I become a Christian? But Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the entrance to the kingdom of heaven is gained through your coming in humility and you having a humble heart before God. The greatest, the greatest act of humility in the history of the universe was when Jesus Christ stooped down to die on the cross. The Bible says that he humbled himself to become obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And before we can get to heaven, we need to kneel down before the cross and we need to acknowledge that we're a sinner we've broken the commandments and we need the grace of God in Christ. No one can come proudly to the Savior um, but it's not only unbelievers who are guilty of pride, we're guilty of it too. As believers there's a, there's a, a guy named uh, there was a monk in 1564 named John of the Cross and he left um, some really interesting writings. He wrote, he wrote about pride among Christians. He says we can have it too. Pride doesn't just keep us from becoming believers. He wrote there's a great danger to us as believers because we can become satisfied with all of our religious works and with ourselves. Uh, we want other people to realize what, how spiritual we are. And we start to fear confessing our sins to other people because they might think less of us, right? Or, or we kind of lessen we lessen our sins. Like when we go to cell group, what's going on in your life? Oh, not much, even though we really need to confess. We need to counter pride by walking in humility because it's God that's great. God is deserving. We're not. God also hates a lying tongue. Um, in their book, The Day America Told the Truth, authors James Patterson and Peter Kim revealed that 91% of Americans lie on a daily basis. Probably because most people don't look at lying as a big deal. But it is a big deal. It is a big deal to God because uh, God hates it. Even small white lies often lead to deeper and uh, more flagrant sins like fraud and embezzlement and that kind of thing. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Um, I think all of us can get on board with that, right? We go, oh, yeah, okay, I agree with that. That's, this is a perfect reason why we as followers of Christ need to take a strong stand against abortion. It's why not only that, but we need to take a strong stand against unrighteous war. 
against human trafficking, violent crime, all these things, because God hates hands that shed innocent blood. You might say, I've never murdered anybody, but even psychologists will say that uh, murder lurks in the heart of everybody. The Bible says, God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. Okay? Billy Graham said, what is sown in the mind, thought is sown in the mind before it's reaped in the field of action. Okay? And it, in court, judges will condemn you according to you committing a crime, but God judges us based on our hearts. Right? All through history, we see examples of men and women's imaginations or their plans being evil in the sight of God. And God hates that. Feet that run to evil. Evil thoughts and plans, if they're nourished and fed, will eventually lead to sinful actions. And all around us we see people who are openly and flagrantly violating God's laws. And they'll say they're not a hypocrite (laughs) because they make no pretense of being good. But that doesn't excuse them. God hates a man or woman who's, who uh, is a false witness, who sows, stirs up dissension among the brothers. We seldom hear the slanderer, or the libeler, or a malicious gossip denounced. We come to think that it's a harmless thing. It's not that big a deal. But God, the Bible says that God hates discord among the brothers, and he strongly denounces it. So we just kind of went through a list of things that God hates. And I'm running late here, so I need to go quickly. But what about things that God loves? What does God love? Well, one of the things that God really loves is the LCC band. I'm going to bring them up. (laughs) God really loves those guys. If you ever want a list of things that God loves, turn to Matthew 5. And this is kind of bizarre because (laughs) Jesus, when he gives the Sermon on the Mount, he mentions these things and they're almost an exact one-on-one mirror with what Solomon says we just read in Proverbs chapter 6. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It's funny. It's just the opposite of the list of things that God hates, isn't it? These are the things that God wants to build in you. These are the things that um, if we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, he's going to be doing this work in our lives. And if you seek after these things, that is wisdom. Because that's having the heart of God. It's not really a sexy list, is it? It's not, the thing, it's not really a list of things that we're like, wow, that guy's really meek. <laughs> what a great guy. 
But that's, but that's Jesus, right? It describes Jesus. And God wants us to be more like Jesus. So my question is, I, I just listed them here. I should go through this. God loves a humble heart. He loves honesty. He loves helping the innocent and helpless. He loves the person who plans good things, whose feet run to do good, and a true witness, and one who builds peace and unity among the brethren. So he said that wisdom involves working hard, diligence, right? To serve God enthusiastically and to train ourselves to love what God loves and hate what God hates. So in light of this, what are the priorities in your life? Are you working toward fulfilling the, your own priorities? Or are you working toward the priorities that God would have for you to become more like him and to have the mind of Christ? Let's pray. Lord God, this is what we want more than anything is we want to have your heart. We want to have your mind. We want to have the wisdom that comes from you. And uh, pray that you would put to death the darkness and the sin that's within us and bring to life the works of your spirit in our, in our lives. Help us to be diligent in seeking that. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for this day that you've given us, for the message that you brought to us, and I pray that uh, you let us be looking towards your ways and to keep us humble throughout the week. We love you. Amen. Uh, you can have a seat for just a minute because you're not rid of me yet. Um, I don't. Uh, I just want to say, first of all, I really love the honor of being able to worship with you all and be up here, but I don't think you understand how awesome it is to look out and see all your faces. So, uh, yeah, it's, I just wanted to say that I really uh, appreciate that I get to do that. But I also want to say that, uh, was anyone ready for the snow yesterday or the cold? Because I was not. I walked the dog. I put up Christmas lights. I'm still freezing. Um, but, you know, when it's cold outside, there's nothing better than looking towards a, a trip to somewhere warm. And I will give credit to the Millers for that great opening. I can't claim that myself. Um, and that's what we're going to be having. So my name's Rachel. Uh, I also work with our Honduras Missions team, and I kind of help organize uh, the trips that we go on. And we have one coming up in February, very end of February, like 27th through March 4th. Don't quote me exactly on that, but, you know, look at your calendar and figure that out. Um, and quick backstory, so uh, the Sours are the missionaries that we work with in Honduras. They've been there like 20 plus years. They have a couple different missions that they work with, um, but one of them is a sister church program. So we have a sister church in Arenales in the western mountains of Honduras, uh, and we work with Pastor Marvin and his church there, and they allow him to uh, come in during the week and do like Bible lessons, and, uh, in and they also feed the children at that time. Um, so we partner with him, and we help pack up backpacks in the summer that we send down. Um, and uh, these backpacks and sponsoring children allow kids that would not get to go to school, you know, go to school. In fact, uh, rumor has it is that we are actually, our, we have two schools that we help, one at the top of the mountain and one at the bottom of the mountain. And the top school 
is getting so many kids coming in that they need to build another classroom, another like part of the school. So that's because all of us, all of you, um, are faithful in helping, you know, sponsor these kids and helping support Pastor Marvin. So we go on trips. Uh, we're trying to get a twice a year rotation. We'll be in the summer as well. You'll probably see my face again about that. But we're going in February. And I think the February trip is a great way to get your toe in the water of missions. If you were scared out of your mind, like I was, um, like this is the trip. This is the one. Like just don't even think about it. Just do it. Um, it's great because you get to pass out the backpacks that we've packed up for the kids. So you really get to interact with the kids and their parents. Um, it's also a great time for um, home visits. The, you can do them in the summer as well, but sometimes it's a little busy. But there's a little more time on this trip. It's a little more, um, a little less busy. So you can actually go to the house of your sponsor kid and meet them and meet their siblings and meet their parents. And it's a great time to ask them, hey, you know, what do you like in your backpack? What shoe size are you? Um, you know, how can we be praying for you? I mean, it's just, it's like, where else do you get to meet the kid you're writing the letter to? You don't get to do that. It's very, I mean, it's just awesome. Um, it's also a great trip if you have younger kids, even like elementary age. I've taken both of my girls at separate times. Uh, I took Roz last year and she was seven and like, she did fine. It was great. So if that's holding you back, don't let that hold you back. I know it's not spring break for any people. Um, but I think it's a great excuse to pull them out of school. You know, they're, whatever, they'll learn their ABCs later. Like, come serve, it's fine, we'll catch them up, I'll help you, it'll be okay. So, uh, we are gonna have a meeting. Like she said, the sign up closes at the end of today. I am gonna go on a limb and say, if you really are on the edge and need a couple more days, we'll work with you, it's okay. So, we're gonna meet at the Right after I dismiss you guys, right down over here-ish, I'll be down here. Please come talk to me. I'll give you more information if you're on the edge. I will talk you into it and drag you along. Um, so yeah, we, oh, and last little incentive. Uh, we got some really good deals on tickets, but we need 10 people to go. I'm not gonna tell you how many people we have already. I just want everyone to feel the pool and come down. And like I said, I'll talk you into it. It's all good. Um, so I think that's it. So everyone stay warm and we'll see you next week.